I'm Pastor Mark, and uh, we are in a series called Red Letters, where we are uh, following along and, and looking at the teachings of Jesus, which in many of your Bibles uh, are indicated by red letters, hence the name. So, uh, you know, it's interesting, if you've been around the church for any length of time, I'm sure that you've heard uh, the teachings of Jesus, and and you know, one of our, our kind of uh, propensities is just to kind of dismiss or just kind of uh, land on original kind of idea of how something is and not move from it. This is really, uh, science actually has a name for it. It's called change blindness. And it's the foundation of all magic shows that, that say I'm a magician and I have a hat. And I say, look at this hat, and maybe I'll even call somebody up and say, look at this hat, is this a regular hat? And yes, this is a regular hat, and everything. And what the magician is doing is, in your mind, settling once and for all that this is a regular hat. And then he distracts you and changes the hat, and then he you know, just uh, amazes us all by pulling, what, a rabbit right? A rabbit out of the hat. And it's like, oh, how did he do that? It was a regular hat. Even somebody from the audience said it was a regular hat. And the way that happens is called change blindness, that, that our minds settle on, on what something is, and then our, we don't go any, we don't, intellectually, we don't go any farther. We just kind of dismiss. And even so much, we dismiss what our eyes tell us, for what we think we are seeing. And this is a great danger for those of us who've been around the church for a long, long time, is that, that we kind of settle on, on a teaching of a certain passage or a teaching of, of, of how we originally thought about a passage and we never move beyond it. And one of my biggest prayers while... I've been studying the red letters again, and, and hopefully and my prayers for you guys is that we will be able to move past kind of maybe an initial understanding of what something means and move beyond it and experience something new that Christ has for us. One of the cool things about Christ's teaching in Scripture uh, in total is that, that it's timeless and it crosses all socio and economic uh, bounds and, and cultural boundaries and all of these different things. And even scripture, and I'm sure that you've had this, you know, that, that a scripture that spoke to you in a certain way or maybe didn't even speak to you at all at one time in your life completely takes on new meaning and is essential in, in your current life. So today we're going to, be looking at a familiar story. It's called the Good Samaritan. And what just happened in your brain is, I know the Good Samaritan, right? I, it's what I did. I'm like, looked at it. I'm like, know it. Guy gets beat up. Priest comes by, ignores him. Temple assistant comes by, ignores him. Then Samaritan guy, don't even know really what a Samaritan is, but some guy, a Samaritan, comes by, takes care of him. He's the hero of the story. I should be like him. I mean, that's basically, that's the teaching that we've heard. That's kind of the understanding 
of the scripture. And, and my prayer for us today is maybe that we can pull something else out of this. Maybe, maybe God has something in store for us that maybe we had not previously seen. And to be honest with you, as I approached this scripture, that happened for me. And it, this might not be new to you, but it was new to me. It was a new revelation to me that I feel that God gave me. It actually starts in verse 25. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Wrong. Wrong. He may have been spiritually right, but he was absolutely wrong. He may have had the right Jesus, or right Jesus, the right answer that Jesus was looking for, but he had the wrong quotation. It's very interesting to me because if you look at the law of Moses, if you look at the law of Moses in original Hebrew, which I have done, if you look at at the law of, of Moses is found in Deuteronomy. You can open up your Bibles and look at it in Deuteronomy, and you can look at the law of Moses as it is recorded in um, Leviticus. That you will see that the, actually what the law of Moses says is this. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And then if you flipped over to Leviticus, you would see you must love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the law of Moses does not say that you must love the Lord your God with all of your mind. The expert of the religious law added this. Why did he add this? He added it because Jesus in Mark 12 added it. This is part of Jesus' teachings and understanding of the law of a holistically loving God. Jesus said in Mark 12, you must love your Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And equally as important, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And as I looked at this story, I never realized it before, but this expert in the religious law had actually been listening to Jesus' teaching, and he had actually accepted some of his teachings. He accepted it as part of, the, hey, you know what? What Jesus is teaching is true. That, 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 that the law of Moses is really encompasses our whole being. And as he looks at this and, and Jesus says, yes, you know what? You, you, you got it. And that you've, you, you're accepting my teachings and now do this and you will live. But in verse 29, it says this, The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We would never do this, right? 
those of us who are followers of Christ, students of Jesus, Jesus, we would never repeat his teachings, but then try to justify our actions. I don't even know why we're going to talk about this today, because I know nobody here has ever listened to Jesus' teachings and tried to justify actually how we are living. You know, I, I, I look at this, and, and to be honest with you, I identify with this a whole lot. And Pastor Dan last week was talking about, you know, the, you look in the mirror and there's the, the person that you want to be, and then there's actually the person you are. There's the follower of Christ that you want to be, but then there's the actions that you actually take. That, that you know, we look at Scripture God's kind of revelation to us and, and, and his vision for us to live out our lives. And how often do we hear and we accept that, but we try to justify our actions. I often joke that there's a series that I, I want to do, and it's called Things That I Wish was, Were Not in the Bible. I just, I seriously... I, I, you know, I could go through the Bible and I could edit it down like, you know what, the Bible's this thick. By the time I was done with it, it'd be about that thick, you know, that, that there's lots of things in the Bible that, 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 you know, it just goes against my, my, my personal grain, how I would handle things. I mean, it's my, it's my, my, my sin nature, right? It's, 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 it's who I am, and, and it's true for you as well. I'm just, will say it. And you, know, you look through, and you know, things like, like it's none of our kind of in, natural instincts to give the first of our fruits, right? You know, that, you know, but we, we do it as a discipline thing, and then we see why God has called us to do it. Or love your enemy. Really? Like that's your, you know, all of us, you know, we would, we, we want to kill our enemy or at least maim them, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, there, there's, we do this all the time. We can, we can bark out the, the Sunday school answer. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, you know, and love others as yourself. But then we try to justify our actions. It's interesting here that he actually gets the first part right, but he actually leaves out a key word when he says, and love your neighbors as yourself. He doesn't say a really important word that Jesus said, and that is equal. See, in Mark 12, he says, equally as important is how you interact with God's creation is how you interact with God himself. It is as important how you love your neighbor as it is how you love God himself. (laughs) Edit, gone, you know. I mean, think about it. Having an abstract God can be easy to love. Abstract God can be easy to love. But your neighbor can be really, really difficult to love. 
can be really difficult to love your neighbor when he puts his old tube TV out on the curb and it sits there for six months, right? Abstract love of God can be very easy. Tangible, real, annoying neighbor, hard. You know, this kind of abstract God concept kind of uh, was brought real to me many years ago, a pastor friend of mine who, who uh, was an alcoholic. And uh, he went to his 12-step AA meetings, and in his 12-step meetings, he was told that he needed to identify a higher power. But he did not believe in God, so he decided that he was going to make his own higher power. In his higher power, he gave his higher power a name. His higher power's name was Fred. Fred, Fred the higher power. And I'm not sure exactly how all AA works and how you're meant to interact with your higher power, but he would do all of that. And it worked very well, this abstract God for him, this, this, this Fred character that was his higher power until one day he was in his AA meeting in this broken down man. You know, you know the you know the kind of people that that have had a, a lifelong struggle with addiction. You know, there's a point where they stop taking from the bottle and it starts taking from them. And their eyes get hollow and their cheeks get hollow and you just even if they're sober, you can tell that they're drunk. So as you painted this picture for me, this kind of individual obviously had looked like he had been beat by life and, and had, been, had succumbed to addiction, gets up to the podium. And in his shaky way, spoke words that changed his life forever. Hello? My name is Fred, and I'm an alcoholic. His abstract just became tangible. His Fred, his higher power, was a broken down alcoholic man. And it rocked his world. You see, so often the abstract is very easy for us. We can make God who we want him to be. But the tangible can be very, very hard. You know, mixing with people. People do weird things. They just do. Just strange things. Shannon and I, uh, Shannon works at Starbucks, and, and she has a, uh, a couple, an uh, elderly couple. She's French, and he's Italian. And they've been inviting us over for dinner for, for a long time. And Shannon said, finally said, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll come over. 
And she told me and willingly and happily because I needed another thing to do and uh, uh, decided that, that, you know, I would, I would join my wife and, and, and we went there and it was so interesting, you know, just kind of hanging out uh, with them and they had another couple there and, and, and she was sharing a story about, about Halloween and, and her neighbor's. And just kind of like bizarre behavior. And, you know, she's, she's in her late 70s and she's a little old, you know, French woman. And she, she was telling us a story about, about Halloween one evening. She got a knock on, on her door and, and uh, she opens up the door and she said there was, there was two teenage boys standing there in trench coats. And... As soon as she opened the door, they opened up their trench coats with nothing else that God gave them and said, trick or treat. She said that she stood there. She looks at them. She says, I'm old and I'm French and I'm going to require both of you. And she went to grab them. And her husband says that he heard screaming from these boys. <laughs> and he comes out and he sees these boys running. And he's all, what did you do? <laughs> you know, abstract God, easy to love. People, little more hard, right? She went on to say that he banned her from ever answering the door again. <laughs> so here we have, you know, this guy who listened to Jesus' teaching, actually accepted some of his teaching, kind of edited some of Jesus' teaching. You know, thing, his kind of version of things he wished Jesus didn't say, the equal part, he took that out. And then he tried to justify his actions of how he loved an abstract God, but wanted to justify his inaction of loving his neighbor as himself. So he asks the question, Jesus, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Wouldn't we like to know? Wouldn't we like to have a checklist? Is it the guy with the TV on the curb? Is it two teenage boys in trench coats? Is it our countrymen? Who is our neighbor? Who are they? Well, Jesus tells this story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, Jesus is painting a picture here. You've got to remember that Jesus is speaking to who? Leader of the uh, 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 expert in religious law. He's talking to a, a Jew who, who knows his Torah, knows his Bible. 
he's talking to other Jewish people who are there. So he first says, okay, you have this person who's just like you, this Jewish man. He's not abstract. He's not somebody well over there. There, there, there. There's a Jewish man. And probably at this point, he's like, okay, good. I can, I can, you know, somebody who's similar, somebody who's like me, it's okay. And then he goes on and he says, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, the priest, in the context of, of the listeners in this story, would really be someone like me or Pastor Eric, or Pastor Dan. A pastor, a priest, a pastor. Someone who you would expect to do the right thing. Right? Like, you expect me to love my neighbor, the guy with the TV. Right? Right. So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is painting this picture for him. Hey, like someone in this priest congregation, part of the, they're in the club. And Pastor Dan comes by and crosses to the other side. Verse 32. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there. Yep. But also passed by on the other side. So this would be like uh, Lori Green in our context. <laughs> right? She's, she's, she's our temple assistant. We're going to change her, her uh, business card to that. Temple assistant. <laughs> so Lori Green, who also you would, would imagine she works in the church. She's a good church lady, right? <laughs> that, that she is going to do something about this. But Lori looks, at least looks, and then passes to the other side. Verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's deconstructing this guy's worldview of the abstract and bringing it to the tangible. He's like, look, your pastor and the church lady passed by. But this despised Samaritan, a Samaritan, in the first century, the Jews hated them. They were what they would consider half-breeds. I was trying to think of like an equivalent of a despised Samaritan. I thought it would be best left to you guys in your thoughts. Because that's a no-win for me. Right? I mean, I'm thinking it, but I can't say it. Because you getting this is more important than me offending you. I'll offend, I'll offend you later, but, but I want you to get this. So you think in your own mind like despicable person. Right? And, and I actually, after the 930, had several people come up and give me some examples of despicable people, which... Those work. So whoever you're thinking of, despicable trade, despicable person, this is the person. So you see the, see the tension that, that's going on. Pastor, church later, lady, despicable person comes along. This is what Jesus is saying. Someone who you would not expect to do anything, not to do the right thing. 
When he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. So what did the Samaritan do? What did he really do? Well, number one, he did what the priest, the pastor, and the church lady, the temple assistant, did not do. Everybody was going and doing something. They had their pattern of life. We all have patterns of life. I love my pattern of life. I created my pattern of life. You probably love your pattern of life. You created it. It works for you. And the last thing that you or I need is someone disrupting our pattern of life. And this is exactly what's going on, that the the priest, the temple assistant, and the despised Samaritan were going along their day in their life, and this was a disruption. And the first thing that the Samaritan did that the other two did not was allow his pattern of life to be disrupted for an opportunity to show compassion and to love their neighbor. The second thing that this despised Samaritan did that the others did not do was actually touch, a healing touch, and parted with things that were important, olive oil. And it's not like the despised Samaritan could have just gone to Walmart and got some olive oil. Like this was something that was was valuable And he also gave him some wine, got him liquored up a little bit so it didn't hurt so bad. Just, that's the story. I mean, it says right here, just right here, somewhere. Hold on, hold on, I I got it, 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 olive oil and wine and bandaged him, got it to soothe him and comfort him. Yeah. All right, take, that's optional if you want to take that or not. So, and what else did he do? He put the man on his donkey. You know, this is transportation. This is his hoopty, you know. It's his, his ride. He, he, uh, he, he puts him on his donkey, and I'm sure he had, like, nice blankets on there. You got this guy, he's drunk, and he's beat up, and he's got olive oil all over him. He's a mess, and he's the guy, put him on the donkey. And he, wait, he takes him to an inn. It must have, you know, this would take a lot of time. And not only that, he gives him two silver coins. And I think that this, those of us, this is where a lot of us could go pretty easily. To be honest with you, kind of like we see a need and we take care of it, right? I know so many of you nail this. And it's awesome. But I think the hardest part is the last thing that the Good Samaritan did. Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. 
It's nothing about money. It's everything about having a sustained concern past the immediate hurt. And that's where it gets really hard. A commitment to another human being. I think all of us, to be honest with you, you know, kind of like a one-shot deal. Our culture is very good at that. But as soon as we do something and feel good about it, we're off to back to our own pattern of life. And I think that this is the difficult part, is saying, you know what? I am committing to the long term to this man. So that's really what the, the despised Samaritan, or is the, the story is t- titled The Good Samaritan. You know, this, he takes care of the immediate need because he was willing to break his pattern of life and and give some resources toward it. But he was also willing to make a long-term commitment to the well-being of this person. And then Jesus asked this, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And this is where It gets so hard. It's where we want to grab our editing pen and just edit it out. Because loving the abstract God can require very little tangible action. But loving your neighbor as yourself costs something tangible. It can cost us time, it can cost us resources, and it can cost us commitment. And that is hard. You know, you think about the law and and, and how Jesus tells it, and you, you know, it's like, love your neighbor. And I think maybe Maybe loving your neighbor would be okay. But the part I really don't like is as yourself. What if Jesus meant it? What if Jesus really meant not only love your neighbor, but love your neighbor as yourself? And I was thinking about this and what that really means. And and my mind went to actually to somebody who despises themselves. What does somebody who despises themselves what will they do for themselves? This is somebody who has, does not even want to go on another day, but it just doesn't, hasn't decided to off themselves yet. They're killing themselves slowly. What will they do? Someone who despises themselves will still make sure that they eat. He will. Someone who despises themselves will make sure that they're clothed at some level. Someone who despises themselves will find shelter for themselves when it's raining or it's cold. That's somebody who despises themselves. Like, I don't even, I'm not sure if I could live up to the command of his love your neighbor as someone who despises themselves does. Doesn't flow very well, but... I mean, you know, see what I'm saying here? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I got to tell you, I am a lover of me. No one loves me like I love me. Now, I'll spend money on me like there's no tomorrow. I'll make sure that I'm fed. I'll make sure that I have coffee. I'll make sure that I have a house. I will make sure of all sorts of things. And I'm definitely not sitting up here today and saying, be like me. But what I am saying is this. Those of us who say we are followers of Christ mean something. If we say that we are followers of Christ, what we're really saying is that we are following Christ in His words and in His actions, that we are patterning, patterning our life after His. And when Jesus speaks in the red letters as they're represented in many of our, our Bibles, we have to look at them and say, if I'm a follower of Christ and, and Jesus is telling us to holistically love God, yes, but also to be His tangible hand to this lost and hurting world to, yes, actually go outside of our pattern of life and sacrifice our resources and commit to people's long-term well-being. That we need to take that extremely seriously as individual followers of Christ. So I don't know if this spoke to you in any different way or another way than you've heard it before. To me, my my takeaway as I studied and prayed through this was that I don't want to be like the expert in religious law who knew the Sunday school answer but wanted to justify my actions. That I would like to say, you know what, Jesus? I wholesale yield my life to you. And if you are calling me to do this, as hard as it is, I will follow. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, I think it's arguably one of the tougher ones to go from the abstract into the tangible, to love flesh and bone people who do odd things. God, I just pray that you will fill us with your power and your ability to move beyond an abstract faith, and to actually be your tangible hand in this lost and hurting world. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.